0: Chapter 9 of A Cabinet Secret by Guy Boothby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 9 of all that occurred after I became unconscious I am quite ignorant. From the moment of my closing my eyes until six o'clock next morning my mind is a perfect blank. All I remember is that, little by little, I became aware of a strange oscillation. It was as if my bed were being tossed violently about to the accompaniment of a noise like the groaning of a thousand tormented souls. It will go off if I lie still, I said to myself, but instead, every moment, it grew worse. At last, when I could bear it no longer, I opened my eyes and looked about me, What I saw was calculated to afford me considerable astonishment. I had imagined myself to be lying in the room whence I had escaped, what I supposed to be a few hours before. I was not there, however. The place in which I was lying was the cabin of a ship, and was some nine feet long by six in width. Opposite the bunk in which I lay was the customary brass-bound porthole, with a cushioned settee or locker below it the door was at the foot of the bed. A washstand, with a mirror above it, stood against the bulkhead. There was a narrow strip of faded carpet upon the floor, and when I have noted these things, I have furnished you with a detailed description of the cabin. What the name of the vessel was, and how I had got there, were questions I could not answer. One thing, however, was quite certain. Whatever else she might be, the ship was not a good sea-boat. She rolled abominably and from the pounding noise on deck i gathered that she was taking aboard more seas than was altogether comfortable with my head clanging like a ship's bell i managed to scramble out of my bunk and approach the porthole constantly blurred though the glass was by the waves that dashed against it i was able to convince myself that there was no land in sight all i had before me was a confused humbling mass of water an expanse of cloud-covered sky and once when we rose upon a particularly heavy sea the fleeting picture of a bark making extremely bad weather of it three miles or so distant turning from the dismal scene i tried the door to find as i had expected that it was locked it was evident from this that though a decided change had come over my affairs i was still a prisoner the situation was both dispiriting and perplexing my head however ached too much to allow me to worry over it for very long i accordingly climbed back into my bunk and composed myself for sleep once more success must have crowned my efforts for when i woke again the comparative steadiness of the vessel convinced me that the weather had taken a turn for the better from a ray of sunlight that danced in and out through the porthole it was plain that clouds which had hitherto covered the sky had disappeared, and that there were hopes of better weather. My headache had almost left me, and I felt that if I could procure something to eat, I should be almost myself once more. On looking at my watch, I found to my annoyance that it had stopped at five minutes to six, so that I was unable to tell what the hour was. Once more, I climbed out of the bunk, and this time seated myself upon the settee. I had not been there many minutes before the sound of voices reached my ears. The speakers were in the saloon, so I gathered, and one of the voices sounded strangely familiar to me. I tried to locate it, but for a time was unable to do so. Then, in a flash, it occurred to me, and I wondered that I had not recognized it before. It was the voice of Signor Sargasta, the Countess's father, or at any rate her reputed father, i am still in their clutches i said to myself with something that was very like despair as i realized the meaning of this new discovery but how on earth did they get me aboard this boat and what are they going to do with me now that they have got me here the question was beyond me however i was compelled to leave it unanswered a few seconds later i heard the sound of footsteps approaching my cabin then the door was unlocked and opened and the grey-haired military-looking man who had driven up with the countess to the hotel in paris and who had been introduced to london society as her parent entered the cabin behind him was the young count conrad with the same supercilious smile upon his face good morning my dear sir george said the elder man, with one of his extraordinary bows i am rejoiced to find that your adventure of last night has had no ill effect upon you. Allow me to offer you a hearty welcome to this gallant vessel. I fear that she has not behaved herself altogether as she might have done since you have been on board, but the North Sea, as at the best of times, a discourteous host. So I am in the North Sea, am I? said I to myself, as I registered that piece of information in my mind. Then I continued aloud. You have played me a scurvy trick between you, and one that, if I ever get out of this, will be likely to cause you a considerable amount of trouble. The smile widened on Conrad's face. Evidently, he thought the possibility of my regaining my freedom was a very remote one. I am desolated to think that we should have so much inconvenience to you, Sargasta replied. But alas, we had no option. However, we must do our best to make your stay with us as pleasant as is compatible with the circumstances. Doubtless you are hungry after your long fast. If so, will you permit me to conduct you to the saloon, where you will find that a meal has been prepared for you? You give me liberty on board, then? I said, with some surprise. Since we are clear of the coast, and provided, of course, that you do not abuse it, "'We will do so to a certain extent,' he replied. "'Should you give us a cause to regret our decision, "'nothing will remain but for us to confine you to your cabin once more. "'Pray, let me lead the way.' "'With a feeling of vague bewilderment, almost impossible to describe, "'I followed them into the saloon, where I discovered, as he had said, "'that a meal had been arranged for me. "'In spite of my sorry position,' i found that i possessed an excellent appetite and in order that they might not think that they had overwrought me i fell to work upon the joint before me with an avidity that i flatter myself considerably surprised them meanwhile the steamer rolled incessantly until it looked as if even the fiddles upon the table would be unable to keep my plate and glass in position fortunately i am an excellent sailor otherwise i am doubtful whether i should have been able to continue my meal during its progress the older man had seated himself near me as if to make sure that i did not cut my throat or do myself any other mischief with the knife i held in my hand when i had finished he pointed to the deck above perhaps you would like to take a little fresh air he shouted politely for the noise below was such that we could scarcely make each other hear if so permit me to be your escort In reply, I bowed, and followed him along the saloon to the small companion ladder which led to the deck above. It was a fine scene that met our gaze as we opened the door and stepped out. I have already said that the violence of the gale had abated somewhat, but there was still a sufficiently high sea running, to make it difficult to retain one's footing without holding on to something. After the stuffiness of my cabin, however, the pure air was vastly refreshing. As I stood in the hatch, I took stock of the vessel. She could not have been more than fifteen hundred tons, and was ancient a tub, as could be safely trusted to put to sea. She was the possessor of an old-fashioned poop, from which two brass-railed ladders led down on either side to the deck below. On the small bridge, forward, I could catch a glimpse of the officer of the watch, pacing to and fro, but at the distance I was from him, it was impossible to say whether i was acquainted with him or not i accordingly turned and staggered with him as far as the taffrail then forward again to the sheltered side of the deck here a surprise to which my discovery of the countess in that suburban house was as nothing was in store for me you will realize what i mean when i say that comfortably stretched out on the deck chairs on the lee side of the hatch were three men who one and all uttered exclamations of astonishment on seeing me as for me i stood clutching the rails and staring at them as if they were spirits from the grave come to mock at me the man nearest to me was none other than the commander-in-chief who had disappeared so mysteriously from lord beckingdale's residence on the night before the aldershot review Next to him, with a rough sou'wester tied under his chin, was the Honorable Benjamin Castellon, Secretary of State for the Colonies, who had vanished shortly after I had said good night to him in Cockspur Street, and whom I had thought never to see again. While furthest from me and nearest the poop ladder, a stubby grey beard covering his usually well-shaven chin was my old friend General Waller, who had apparently been caught up into space at paddington station after his return from audience at windsor the colonial secretary was the first to speak good heavens manderville he shouted is it you or your ghost it is i manderville i answered as if the assertion was necessary but you we thought you were dead how in the name of all that's wonderful did you get here by this time, they were all on their feet, holding on to the rail of the hatch by one hand, shaking my hand by the other. "'That's too long a story to tell you now,' said the commander-in-chief. "'The question is, how did you get here?' I could furnish them with no answer to that question, but referred them to the men who had kidnapped me. Meanwhile, the old Italians stood a few paces away, holding on to the rail and watching us. Even by this time, I had not recovered from my surprise in london we had all looked upon them as dead men and now to find them my companions on a small steamer on the high seas was almost too great a surprise it seems beyond belief to find you here i said as we made our way back to the shelter of the companion hatch where there was comparative silence the almost universal belief in england is that you have been murdered by anarchists We might as well have been, Walter replied gloomily, until Castellan came. I was alone upon this tub, and you can imagine the sort of life I led. I can imagine all sorts of things, I replied, but I want to hear your story. The others have doubtless told you how completely your disappearance puzzled us, Waller. We traced you as far as Paddington, and then lost sight of you altogether." It was said that you had taken a cab in the station yard and had driven away in it, but no trace of the driver could ever be discovered, in spite of the large rewards we offered. No one saw me drive away from Paddington, he answered, for the simple reason that I walked from the station. They must have mistaken me for someone else. The scheme which brought about my destruction was, I must admit, a singularly ingenious one. If there is any comfort to be derived from that fact and yet it was simplicity itself as you are aware the train by which i left windsor after stopping at Slough, does not do so again except for ticket collecting until it reaches paddington i should here mention that before leaving london that morning for windsor i had received a note from my old friend mrs marchingham who is a great invalid and whose son is at the front asking me if i could possibly spare the time to call upon her in order to wish her good-bye on receipt of her letter i telegraphed to her saying that i would make every endeavor to comply with her request it would have been strange had i not for we had been playfellows as children and had always been on the most affectionate terms one moment i said for an idea had struck me if you telegraphed to her how was it that the department did not make us aware of the fact we caused every inquiry to be made because i signed the telegram with my christian name and i am quite certain that no one recognized me at the post office he replied and then continued his story well as soon as i reached paddington on my return from windsor i alighted from the train and remembering that exminster terrace where my old friend's residence is situated is only a short distance from the station i did not take a cab on reaching the house the front door was opened to me by a neat maid-servant, who informed me that Mrs. Marchingham was at home, and was expecting me. I accordingly followed her upstairs to the drawing-room, where I waited, while the maid informed me that she would acquaint her mistress of my arrival. I might here explain that the drawing-room is a double one, and that the portion into which I was shown was at the back of the house, and overlooked the garden. The double doors were closed, and heavy curtains draped either side of the window. Having no thought of treachery, I was standing beside the fire, waiting for my old friend to make her appearance, when two men suddenly emerged from behind the curtains and pointed revolvers at me. One was the young Count Reifenberg, cousin to the famous Countess de Venetza, a Wiltshire house. The other I had never seen before, in answer to my demands to be informed what their conduct meant. They told me that I was their prisoner, that Mrs. Marchingham was abroad and that they were her tenants for the time being. The letter I had received was a forgery. Had there been the least chance of escape, or had it been possible for me to defy them, I should have done so, but one glance was sufficient to show me that the case was hopeless. That night I was drugged, and when I recovered my senses I found myself on board this vessel, though how I got here I cannot say, such is the unvarnished record of my adventures turning to the colonial secretary i asked him to make me acquainted with his story i am afraid that mine is rather more prosaic. he answered you will remember that on the night of my disappearance you and i walked together as far as cockspur street there we stood talking upon the pavement for a short time after which i wished you good-night and went down one of the side streets leading to carlton house terrace i do not know whether you can recall the occurrence but just before we bade each other good-night, an old woman passed us? I admitted that I remembered the fact, whereupon he continued. That old woman's presence in the passage had escaped my memory when I entered it. I had not advanced twenty paces, however, before I saw her turn and come towards me. I was quite prepared for her to beg, and I was not disappointed. She implored me to give her a trifle in order that she might obtain a lodging for the night. Producing a coin, I was about to hand it to her when something was slipped over my head from behind and tightened round my neck. In such cases, thought is quicker than action, and in a flash I realized that I was being garroted. I have a vague recollection of being picked up and carried into a house close by, and then my senses left me, and I remembered no more until I found myself on board the ship. My astonishment at finding Waller here to greet me may be better imagined than described. One night we came to anchor off the coast, though at what particular spot I cannot say, and next morning we discovered that the commander-in-chief had become one of our party. Now you had better ask him for his story. I was about to do so when Sir who, as I have said, had all the time been standing near us, stated that it was time for us to return to our cabins i wondered at the ready obedience that was given to his orders but my wonderment did not last long when a man stepped from a spot alongside the mizzenmast and i saw that he carried a rifle in his hand we accordingly descended the companion ladder in single file and once more entered the saloon it was then that i discovered that two of our state cabins were on one side and two on the other all of which when we were in them were kept securely locked when i was once more a prisoner in my cabin i sat myself down upon the locker and endeavoured to appreciate my position in whatever way one looked at it it was far from being an enviable one what our fate was to be it was difficult to see was it possible our captors intended to maroon us in some desolate region or did they intend doing away with us altogether on the high seas In the latter case, we should perish without a chance of helping ourselves, and our friends would remain in ignorance of our fate forever. If we could only manage to communicate with the outside world, it might then be possible to capture the diabolical woman who was at the head of the affair. I felt that I could almost meet death complacently were I able to bring about that happy circumstance. When I thought of all that had happened to me, through her agency i was nearly beside myself with contempt for having allowed myself to be so easily trapped so old-fashioned was the vessel that when darkness fell instead of the electric light an oil lamp was inserted in the receptacle outside the door it had not been there very long before the door was unlocked and a man whom i had not before seen informed me that supper was upon the table eager to meet my comrades once more i hastened into the saloon to find the commander-in-chief seated on one side of the table with conrad beside him i was invited to take my place on the other side next to that occupied by signor Sargasta. the violence of the sea had abated considerably though the use of the fiddles had still to be retained i looked about me for a sign of the colonial secretary and waller but as they were not present i came to the conclusion that our jailers were adopting what must have struck them as being a very necessary precaution namely dividing our party into two portions this proved to be the case for from that time forward we were not permitted to take either our meals or our exercise together the commander-in-chief and i were to be companions the colonial secretary and waller following the suit by this time The danger of any rising on our part was reduced by one half, while the strain of guarding us was not nearly so great. During the progress of the meal, scarcely a word was spoken. We waited upon ourselves, and it was only when something that did not happen to be on the table was required, that the man who had called me to the meal made his appearance. After supper was over, we were informed that we might go on deck if we pleased, and, Needless to say, we eagerly embraced the opportunity. Having donned our hats, we once more made our way to the companion ladder. It was a brilliant moonlight night. Scarcely a cloud was to be seen in the sky, while the wind and sea were abating every hour. Arm in arm, we began to pace the deck, at the same time noticing the fact that the man with the rifle was as usual stationed near the poop rail. "'It is evident that no precaution is to be omitted,' said the Commander-in-Chief, with a bitter laugh. "'I wonder what our friends in England would say if they could see us now.' "'I wonder what they would say,' I replied, "'if they knew who was at the bottom of it all. "'I suppose the Countess de Venetza is still giving her charming little dinners "'at Wiltshire House, and is still talking so regretfully of the losses England has sustained,' by reason of the disappearance of her prominent officials heaven send that rotherhithe finds her out in time what do you mean my companion asked why should he find her out then i remembered that rotherhithe's engagement to the countess had been announced since the commander-in-chief's disappearance whereupon i made him acquainted with the facts of the case and in doing so gave him a description of the dinner at wiltshire house which had been the preliminary to my capture. "'If we could only find some means of making the world aware of what we have discovered,' he said, after a few moments' silence. "'That's what I was thinking this afternoon,' I replied. "'It appears to be impossible. However, if we were to throw a message overboard, it is a million to one against its being picked up or believed, while if we were in any way to attempt to attract the attention of a passing vessel we should in all probability be dead men before they could come to our assistance be careful not to speak too loud said my companion that fellow at the rail possesses sharp ears you may be sure he will report anything he may regard as suspicious in our conversation or behaviour by the way i said i have not yet been told how your capture was effected had the man i saw in the wood and whose presence i reported to beckingdale anything to do with it i am quite sure he had was the reply in point of fact i incline to the belief that he was the ringleader in the whole affair taken altogether it was not a very brilliant piece of work and i have never ceased to be angry with myself for having been taken in so easily but that is our general complaint in its simplicity however lay its greatest chance of success i can see that now my own affair was simple enough observe how it succeeded now give me the details you shall have them doubtless you remember the fact that i was paying my first visit to lord Beckingdale's new house i had stayed at his old residence before it was burnt down but had never been there since the restoration that will be sufficient to account for my ignorance of its general plan. On the night of which I am speaking, I was located, as you will recollect, in the South Wing. Where Beckingdale's own quarters were, I have no idea, and, as you may suppose, since then I have had no opportunity of finding out. I forget whether I mentioned the fact to you that I had brought a new man down with me. Poor old Simmons no longer felt equal to his work and in consequence I had been compelled to engage a new man, a thing I hate doing. The fresh importation, however, seemed a very quiet and respectable fellow, and he had just completed his first month's service with me when my visit to Aldershot was arranged. On the evening in question I was tired, and dismissed him as quickly as possible. I don't think my head had been upon the pillow for more than five minutes before I was fast asleep how long i slept i have no idea i only know that i suddenly awoke to find my servant standing beside my bed looking as if he himself had been hastily aroused from sleep what is it i asked as soon as i was able to say anything what brings you here at this hour of the night a message from his lordship sir the man replied in a low voice his servant called me up to come and tell you that his lordship "'would be glad if you would go to him as soon as possible in his study. "'A messenger has arrived from London with the most serious intelligence. "'The other gentlemen have been roused, and his lordship begs that you will not lose a moment in joining them. "'He would ask you to be as quiet as possible in order that the ladies may not be alarmed. "'Have you any idea what the news is?' I inquired, as I got out of bed for i thought it was just possible that beckingdale's servant might have said something to him when giving him the message no sir he replied i have no notion except that it is very serious his lordship's man sir went so far as to say that all london is in an uproar without more ado i sprang from my bed and commenced dressing in a very few minutes i was sufficiently presentable to proceed on my errand "'Where did you say Lord Beckingdale is?' I asked, as we prepared to leave the room. "'In his study, sir,' the man replied. "'If you will allow me, I will take you to him.' Bidding him step quietly so that the rest of the household should not be disturbed, I followed him from the room, and down the passage, in the direction of the hall. A faint glimmer of light illumined the passage, so that we were able to make our way along it without the assistance of a lamp or candle.' Having reached the gallery, my man did not descend by the stairs to the hall below, but branched off down a side passage into a portion of the house I had not yet penetrated. Having passed along another corridor, we approached a door before which he paused. Still, with the utmost respect, he opened it very quietly and bowed as if for me to enter. Never for a moment suspecting such a thing as treachery, I did so, and, a moment later, had received a blow on the head, and was lying upon the floor, insensible. I can leave you, Manderville, to estimate the daring of the trick that had been played upon me. I have no doubt that it was the deliberate intention of taking part in it that that wretched valet had entered my service. Little did I think, when I congratulated myself upon having secured him, that he was ultimately to bring about my ruin. But do you mean to tell me that, while we were all asleep, the very man whom I had seen watching the house from the plantation, and against whom I had warned Beckingdale had entered it, and taken possession of one of the rooms, in order to kidnap his most important guest? I do mean it, he replied. Improbable, impossible, though it may appear it was certainly the case. And what happened to you afterwards? remember the house was guarded by the police and that as soon as your disappearance was made known the country for miles around was scoured in search of you it was not of the least use for i did not leave the place until two days later he replied as a matter of fact for more than forty-eight hours i lay concealed wishing myself dead between the roof and the ceiling of that quaint old summer-house on the little knoll at the further end of the lake. How they got me there I cannot say, but that I was there, and was prevented from making my presence known, even though my friend searched the room below for me, is as true as I am talking to you now. Then, when the search must have lost some of its energy, I was brought down in the dead of the night, carried through the wood, and placed in a conveyance of some sort, which immediately drove away with me, shortly before daybreak we arrived at a house standing a good distance back from the road from what i could see of it it was a ramshackle old place but the man who owned it or at any rate the individual who came out to meet us seemed to be on familiar terms with my guards he helped them to escort me into the house and if i am not mistaken he himself locked the door of the small room in which i was to be confined for the next twenty hours At the end of that time, still powerless to help myself, I was once more brought downstairs and placed in the cart. Again we drove off, and for six hours I suffered every imaginable torture. My hands and feet were tightly bound, and my mouth was secured so that I could not utter a cry for help. The cords used lacerated my wrists and ankles, while my head ached from the violence of the blow it had received on the night of my abduction at last the cart stopped and one of the men sprang out a voice asked a question in italian then there was the sound of some one moving away after which not a word was spoken for upwards of half an hour at the end of that time the man who had absented himself returned and said in english it is all right an interval of whispering followed and then i was lifted out and placed upon the ground not a word as you value your life, said a voice, which I recognized as belonging to Count Reifenberg. If you speak, you're a dead man. Another man took his place beside me, and we entered a small field, crossed it, and then passed through a thick pine wood, which, in its turn, led up to some sandhills, whence we could see the moonlit waters of the bay. A fishing boat was being put out, and towards it, my captors hurried me where the place was or whither they were taking me i could not imagine nor did i dare to offer any expostulation i merely took my seat in the boat and waited to see what would happen a quarter of an hour or so later under the influence of a steady breeze we were outside the bay making for the open sea as the sun was in the act of rising we saw a steamer heading in our direction It proved to be this vessel, and when we were alongside I was immediately transferred to her, Reifenberg returning to the shore. You must picture for yourself my surprise at finding Waller and Castellan aboard her. Now you know my story. If any one had told me, a month ago, that I should figure in such an affair, I should not have believed them. Another illustration of the old saying that the unexpected always happens, I replied if we are fortunate enough to see our friends again we shall have some extraordinary stories to tell said the commander-in-chief the question is however shall we ever see them again that remains to be proved i answered we must put our wits to work to see what can be done the words had scarcely left my lips before young reifenberg appeared upon the scene and abruptly informed us that our promenade was at an end, and that it behoved us to return to our cabins, in order that our companions, who had just finished their meal, might take our places. We followed his instructions, and made our way slowly to the saloon below, half hoping that we should have a chance of exchanging a few words with our friends. They were not there, however, having been ordered to their cabins so that we should not meet. There was nothing for it, therefore but to bid each other good night and to retire to our respective state-rooms with as good grace as possible next morning after breakfast we were allowed on deck again for an hour also after luncheon and again in the evening during the progress of the latter meal i was struck by the expression on the commander-in-chief's face it was as if he were suffering from a severe attack of suppressed excitement he fidgeted uneasily in his seat, and seemed to experience great difficulty in eating the food set before him. This excitement found vent while we were in the companion ladder, on our way to the deck above. Halfway up, he took me by the arm and said, in a hoarse whisper, "'My God, Manderville, quite by chance to-day, I have discovered the most diabolical plot ever hatched by mortal man.' "'Then be careful,' I returned. "'that they do not suspect you of knowing it. "'Wait until we are safely out of earshot "'before you say anything to me on the subject.' "'When we reached the deck, "'we found the sentry on guard as usual. "'We accordingly walked aft, "'and had paced the poop two or three times "'before I would permit the commander-in-chief "'to unfold his tale. "'Then, leaning upon the taffrail "'and looking at the white streak of our wake, "'I asked him what he had discovered.' the most villainous plot imaginable, he replied. You will remember that Reifenberg left the saloon before we had finished luncheon this afternoon, and that I was the first to go up on deck. You will also recall the fact that the fellow with the rifle kept close to us while we were on deck, so that it was impossible for me to tell you what I had heard. On reaching the top of the companion, I found Reifenberg and the dark man who acts as steward, and yet who seems to be on such familiar terms with them in close conversation beside the door. What were they talking about? Even now I can only hazard a conjecture, he answered. What I heard Reifenberg say was this, word for word. Fully wound up, she will run for an hour. Then will come the explosion. Sixty minutes exactly after it has been placed in the stoke hole, it will blow the bottom out and she will go down like a stone. On hearing this, the other paused for a moment. Then he said, "'When do you think it will be?' "'The day after tomorrow,' Rivenberg replied. "'If all goes well, and she keeps to the arrangement, she should be in sight.' When he had said this, he strolled away towards the poop ladder, while the other took up his position with his rifle, alongside the mizzenmast, preparatory to our coming on deck." End of chapter 9.